Pray with me, please. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us, our hearts, our minds, right now with your presence, your peace, your love. Holy Spirit, breath of God and fire of love, we cannot pray, we cannot preach, and we cannot receive preaching without your aid. Kindle in us now the fire of your love and illumine us with your light, that with steadfast wills and holy thoughts we may now approach the Father in spirit and in truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When I preach, as I usually uh, do, I preached on the Old Testament of the Gospel. Those are connected, and sometimes the psalm plays nicely, and this psalm played beautifully. But the New Testament is usually just kind of off to a corner, and I even mentioned that in my sermon, I'm sure. Uh, and so I'd like to kind of recover that. So we're going to focus on the New Testament lesson, which is why we read it from Philemon. Um, that theme of the sermon on this Sunday was choice, right? We all have a, a choice to follow Jesus or not, and it's a choice we all need to make. And so I didn't really see how that integrated very well with Philemon. And then after the 9 o'clock service, Lee Jones comes up to me and says, well, of course you can integrate it. Philemon has a choice, right? He can obey Paul and the gospel, or he cannot. And so there's a little connection there to kind of redeem the leaving Philemon out almost entirely. But I'd, I'd like to just reflect a little bit on Philemon itself and the words that we heard and see what it might have for us. Philemon is one of those books that is often ignored. It's the shortest of the letters of Paul that we have, and it's uh, basically from one individual to another individual that is almost exclusively focused on an individual problem, person to person, Philemon to Onesimus. And so a lot of commentators and people have thought that, well, Philemon is the least interesting of books, and so there's not a lot of activity that goes on along Philemon. You don't hear a lot of preaching or teaching, um, and David Powell in his commentary kind of admits as much. It's been described, he says, as one of the most charming letters ever written, but some have seen it as disturbing since Paul seems to deal with the issue of slavery without voicing any explicit critique of that oppressive institution. Others have dismissed it as insignificant, not only because of its size, but also because of its subject matter, dealing with a personal matter between two private individuals. Moreover, Paul in this letter seems less than clear about what he wishes to accomplish with this letter. And finally, to a contemporary audience, to us, this letter, which deals neither with significant doctrinal matters nor prominent Christian spiritual practices, seems at best an archaic note, limited in value. That's the general description that people give of Philemon. It's, it's small, it's insignificant. Um, there's not a lot of stuff that we can learn from it. But I want to push back. Right? I, I want to say that, well... Because it's in Scripture and God gave it to us, there is plenty we can learn. Um, the theme of Philemon is, actually, is really interesting. I love the way the ESV Study Bible puts it. The theme of Philemon is the power of the gospel to transform lives. Formerly he was useless and now he's useful. We hear those words that Paul was speaking about Onesimus. And to impact human relationships. So to transform an individual and transform the relationships that people have with each other. This morning at Inklings, um, we read a very deep piece, a chapter by a, uh, one of the best New Testament scholars probably still living. His name's Richard Hayes. It's a piece from a book called The Moral Vision of the New Testament. And I kind of asked the question, I mean, if we look at the whole New Testament as a collection, how do we describe the way it puts a Christian life? I mean, how, how do we, what do we use to say this is what a Christian life looks like in light of the whole thing? So he, he focuses on three images, the one of community, the one of the cross, and the one of new creation. And I just want to take those three ideas, those three images that he has, and read Philemon through it for a minute, 
and see if there is something we can learn from Philemon. So community, right? This idea that even though the letter is addressed to an individual, in the very beginning of the letter, which is part of what we skipped, he actually addresses it to Philemon and to his wife and to the church that meets in their home. And so even though this is a personal letter, kind of one man to another, Paul to Philemon, whatever Paul's writing, it, it has effects. I mean, it, it, it grows out into the relationship that this guy has with his wife and the church that meets in their home. And so this interpersonal relationship between Philemon and Onesimus has something to do with the community around them, the believers around them. You can hear that right in, in Paul's letter in verse 5. I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. This idea that Philemon, as I mean, maybe an elder, maybe a deacon, maybe a leader in the, the church, he loves Jesus, and that love for Jesus shows up in him loving the people in his church. So this vertical and horizontal dimension is always present. It's always both and. It's never either or. Or in verse 7, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, Paul says. That is, that Philemon's ministry, as he leads the church, he brings refreshment. Think of a, a, a you ever describe anyone as a cool drink of water? Right? This idea that people, some, some people's presence, or maybe their words to you, they're praying for you, they're bringing you a meal. It's, it's refreshing that somehow when people minister to each other like Philemon does to his church, it's a cool drink of water on a hot day, or it's a, a nice coat on a chilly one, or the cross. That's the second image Hayes uses. The cross, I think, is the, the underlying logic of the whole letter. Paul doesn't write this if the cross doesn't happen. There's no transformation that goes on in Paul's life or in Philemon's life or in Onesimus' life if the cross doesn't happen. It's the, it's the background logic to the whole thing. Because the whole thing is basically because of Jesus and what he's done, then your relationship with your former slave, it changes. Everything changes about who you are and how you relate to people. Verse 5. The faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. That is packed with so much meaning that's just behind those words, right? Because the faith in what? Philemon is an individual that believes in Jesus' death and resurrection for him and follows Jesus as Lord, and that's what transforms his whole life. The fact that he says that my Lord, the one that I follow, is Jesus Christ, on the basis of that, Paul appeals to Philemon to change his ways, and then finally, new creation. This might be the one that's hardest to see, but once we see what Hayes says about it, I think it clicks. What Hayes says is that the church, the relationships that we have, it embodies the power of the resurrection in the midst of a not yet redeemed world. So part of what we do as a church, part of what we do as people in this church and in our loving of each other is to show the world that the way of the world, the, the way of power, the way of glory, the way of... Uh, oppression and injustice. It's not the way things are supposed to be, and it's not the way that things are going to be. The transformation of the whole community and our interpersonal relationships one to another is a sign of what it's ultimately going to look like in the end. That's what Paul says in verses 15 and 16. This is maybe, perhaps, why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, a slave, but as more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? That is, that the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, completely changes the dynamics of the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. 
Philemon is supposed to treat Onesimus, his former slave, as an equal. Think, think of how radically that changes in that context. I mean, Onesimus was a slave, meaning he had very few, if any, legal rights. Philemon is probably a freeborn citizen, which means he has the most rights in the society. And Paul says that when he comes back to you, what you're supposed to do is treat him as a brother in Christ first and not a slave first. That is transformative for the whole dynamic between them, right? Whereas Onesimus would have been mistreated, he would have been ignored, he would have been powerless in his society. Philemon is now incumbent, it's incumbent upon him to treat Onesimus as an equal. Or finally, this. If you consider me your partner, Paul says, receive him as you would receive me. Right? When Onesimus comes back to you, this former slave that ran away, you're supposed to treat him just as well as you would treat me, the Apostle Paul. That's radical. Because in, that, in the legal system of that time, Philemon, as a slave owner, would have had the legal right to punish and execute Onesimus if he wished. Onesimus is a slave that ran away and it incurs some kind of legal debt. And you can pay that debt by executing that slave. But Paul says, no, no, no. Not only do you not get to do anything bad to him, you have to treat him as well as you treat me. Right. An apostle of the church, right? a prince of the church, someone that I mean, you would pull out all the stops for Paul if he was visiting your house, right? And you're supposed to treat this slave just like that. It completely transforms the dynamic of the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. That's what, that's what the new world looks like. That's what new creation looks like, where everybody treats everybody the exact way that they should be treated with all the dignity and respect of who we are as humans. And where the world does that so poorly, the church is supposed to be the place that does that in preview. That one day, all of our, transla- all of our relationships are going to be transformed. And I'll close with this, verse 14. This might be my favorite, and you could get really deep on it. Paul says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. This is, I mean, it's that thing that Mike talks about all the time, right? The genuine want to. That is, that in this letter, Paul assumes that the power of the gospel in us and in our hearts It changes us slowly but surely into people who aren't compelled by outside forces to do the right thing. Rather, from the inside out, we want to do what we should. And so may we all, by God's grace and His Spirit, grow more and more into people like that. And may our relationships be transformed more and more into what Paul is talking about here. Amen.